following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak of a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit through who is from God, so that we might understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught, by us, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I'll... Pray for Claire as she comes up. Lord Jesus, send your Holy Spirit upon Claire that you may speak through her, that we may all hear what you wish us to hear tonight and may respond to it in giving ourselves to you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tom. Good evening, everybody. I'd like you to turn to someone close to you and uh, share with them who in our society today do you admire and why? Just have a little quick conflab.
I reckon you've had enough of a go to uh, swap between you. If I asked you to think of uh, someone else, someone who is a hero to you in faith terms, so another Christian person uh, whom you really admire, I suspect you'd also be able to think of somebody. But I wonder would your two streams of admiration correlate? My suspicion is you may admire the former for what they have achieved and the latter for the way in which they have lived. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they're, maybe they're not that far apart. I still miss a wonderful mother in the faith who went to be with the Lord several, ye sorry, several years ago. Her name was Val. She was such a prayerful, spirit-led servant of Jesus. And I learned so much from her. I learned, I learned to forgive in prayer through Val. I learned to wait for the Holy Spirit to speak through Val. I learned how to have more joy than more effort in striving in my walk with Jesus through Val. What is modeled to us as Christians makes a deep impression on us and never more so when that example is Christ-centered, spirit-dependent, and cross-shaped. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been hearing how the good people of Corinth have embraced grace and received the Spirit, and then, unfortunately, have made it all about themselves. The heady combination of spiritual gifts of knowledge and understanding and their cultural love of looking wise has been too much, and they have crashed into admiration of one another. Look at us, aren't we great? Like turning off a main road into a side street with speed humps, Paul is slowing them down, one that bump at a time. They're saved by grace, not their own efforts bump. They all received the Spirit, not just two or three special ones, bump. The wisdom, revelation, and knowledge they now enjoy does not come from them, but from the Spirit. Another bump. Before they received the Spirit, and this is a really big bump, they weren't renowned for being wise, influential, or indeed had anything worth shouting about at all if they remember. Verse 26, chapter 1, is a bit ouchy. Paul pulls no punches with these people that at the same time, he has told them he's always giving thanks to God for. And then Paul does some Christ-centered, spirit-dependent, cross-shaped discipleship modeling through explaining how he came to Corinth, not relying on his own knowledge and wisdom, 
nor his previous experiences. He wasn't coming to them with a tried and tested model of church planting off the shelf. Paul does not mention his CV with its long Jewish pedigree, nor his incredible conversion experience on the road to Damascus. He leaves out his calling as an apostle and his track record as a missionary. Nothing. He comes to them, stripped back, basic, in humility and awe at the one who called to him of seeking the spirit for direction with a heart to serve without counting the cost. He brought them the gospel as simply as he could, letting the power of God do the work. God's passion is to work salvation in all the earth by means of his word because through that his power is released and his glory is revealed. God's power and God's glory so that faith will not rest on human wisdom, human reasoning, or human achievements. What leadership from Paul to be able to take off his cloak of credentials and allow God to do the work that only God can do. Christ-centered, spirit-dependent, and cross-shaped. Then he takes them into a deeper understanding of the spirit they have received through suggesting that the wisdom of God is a mystery that's been hidden particularly from those who preference the wisdom of the age and the power that can come with it. Like pearls tossed to pigs, the spirit does not waste his revelation upon such immaturity. The power of the world, the ruling governments of the day, rule the way they know how, with human standards. Therefore, human corruption agreed for power and self-advancement. It's a wonky plumb line. They couldn't grasp the way of the cross or Christ crucified. It was beyond their imagination. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived. If they'd known, if they'd understood the scriptures, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but instead they conspired together to do just that. Human reckoning falls short of the wisdom of God when it's pursued for the sake of human power. When it's pursued in a state of rebellion against God, we can lay aside our natural self-centered values, we can begin to grasp this wisdom of the cross. The cross inevitably looks foolish when it's held to human standard. God's plan of redeeming the world through a crucified Messiah rather than some kind of superhero is one only God can come up with and one only humans can grasp when they receive the gospel. So the Spirit of God then is for those who are mature. Mature being open, ready, open to receive what God has to share. Not so much mature like waiting for a good cheese to develop a flavor. 
Though, of course, there is that side to this, because Paul couldn't share this with them straight away. He had to treat them like they were infants, like they weren't so mature. The things, a bit like the stuff that makes a cheese really moldy as an introduction of bacteria, the things that are going to mature the Corinthians are going to be when they face into their vanities, when they work through their problems and still remain in pursuit of God. For God's wisdom is revealed to those who love him. It's not knowledge, not rational argument, not worldly wisdom, but love is the touchstone. Love is the standard by which we recognize the wisdom of the cross and the wisdom of God revealed. God's passion is salvation because he loves us. We know he loves us because the Spirit reveals this truth to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. Without the Spirit, this is daft to those who think they're wise, but to whom it's revealed, it is power. And what the Spirit reveals to us comes from God. In the same way that we don't separate out our thoughts from ourselves, you know, we don't say, oh, that wasn't me, that was my thoughts, because that's daft, isn't it? We understand ourselves to be made up of our physical, our intellectual, and our spiritual selves. So we who are made in the image of God can therefore understand that God is God and his word and his spirit. Paul's little parable here about the person's thoughts refers to this mystery of the triune nature of God, the thoughts of God have to do with the word of God who became flesh in Jesus. The unknown mind of God is now known in the mind of Christ, which is revealed to us through the Spirit. When Peter and John entered the empty tomb and saw the grave clothes, John records in chapter 20 that the disciples believed, but they did not yet understand. So God can still be a mystery. Thomas declared when Jesus invited him to put his hand into his scars, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We too can come in all our weakness and frail belief and still struggle to grasp the fullness of God's gift to us in Christ crucified. Like the disciples who worshipped Jesus on the mountain before he left them, some still doubted. But somehow we can, through the Spirit, know the mind of Christ. I was reminded last week of the words of Anselm, for I do not seek to understand so that I may believe but I believe so that I may understand. For I believe this also, that unless I believe, I shall not understand. These are the words of a mature man, someone who opened his heart to the love of God, believed that Jesus is the savior of the world, and that the mystery of the cross can continue to be grappled with 
through the Spirit. Isn't it good that we cannot wring God dry of answers? To use the words of the last battle in the Narnia series, the invitation to us is to come further up and further in. This invitation comes from the Spirit. It's not simply an initial one to accept the cross, but to continually live Christ-centered lives. We're invited into the mind of Christ to plumb the depths of God's word so that we might know his thoughts. Through the Spirit, we learn to depend on the Spirit for wisdom, for direction, for a sense of the next step, whether that be for ourselves as individuals, for us as a church. It means waiting. It means time on our knees. It means discerning together with the Spirit. Is this the right thing now? Do we pursue this? Our cafe in the lower hall is beginning to come together. We've had to wait. We've had to pray. We've had to disappoint people that the coffee lounge isn't quite coming back as the coffee lounge was before. And then just everything suddenly seemed to come together. And we've been able to trust that this has been God's timing. And we've been able to do that because we've kept tuned into the Spirit. We've kept praying. We've kept waiting. And then it's come about. And it's on its way. That's a very practical example. We can know the mind of Christ and receive his peace as we see the end of year exams looming, as we wait to hear if we're going to the uni be favor, as we wonder if all the hard work will be worth it in the end. The more we depend on the Spirit, the more we trust God. The relationship we have with him goes deeper. The more we love God, the more we trust in the Spirit to guide us. And so the cycle continues until we find we are actually managing to live spirit-dependent lives. Through the Spirit, we open ourselves to God's view of life, his plans and his purposes, his love for the world and everything in it. And through God's love, our lens on the world changes shape until we too find we become cross-shaped in our posture towards the world. Paul took off his cloak of credentials because he understood that that was what Jesus had done. In his letter to the Philippians, he puts it this way, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not require equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
It is in Christ's nature to give everything in love. It's in his nature to not hold anything back in love. When we take on, when we receive the Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Like being naked before the Lord and inviting him to speak to us, we can put our own self to one side and be open. The mystery of Jesus and Christ and him crucified changes from foolishness to power through the revelation of the Spirit. We know we have salvation through the love of God as the Spirit has revealed to us can we, like Paul, live Christ-centered, spirit-dependent, cross-shaped lives so that our friends, our families, the people of this city to whom we have been called as witnesses will see the power of God and God's passion for them? Shall we pray? God, your glory can seem like such a mysterious thing. Yet you invite us in your love to open ourselves to your spirit. When we block the way with our credentials, our roles, our own striving. Forgive us for putting our human standard in the way. And not seeking the mind of Christ. Help us to be open, to be naked before you to allow you to speak to us, to reveal more of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org dot uk